Well, that was an exciting uh, paragraph we just read together. I um, wonder if who wants to explain to me what that was all about. Well, we'll get there, but first I want to talk to you about backpacking. How many of you have ever been on a backpacking trip? Okay, good. A good number. Um, I highly recommend backpacking. I think it helps us, even as uh, Christians, remember that we are sojourners in life. Uh, there's all kinds, of, all kinds of analogies, and we'll be talking about some of those, but I just feel close to the Lord when I'm out in nature. So, uh, hey, get out there in nature. But you know, when you're, when you're backpacking through the mountains, um, one of the, the neat things, uh, particularly if you're in a place where uh, there are others along the trail, when you're, when you're climbing a mountain, uh, usually when folks are coming down that mountain and you cross paths on the trail, they bring encouragement with them. You know, they'll say things like, hey, you're, you're more than halfway. And, you know, that's not always true. You're not always more than halfway. But they're just telling you that to kind of encourage you to, to keep going, you know. And, and so I, I remember a few years ago I had the chance with, with a couple of really great brothers to go and spend two weeks backpacking uh, through the Penine Alps. And so we, we hiked from, we walked from the base of, of uh, Mount Blanc in France, in, out, outside Chamonix, France, all the way to the, the base of the Matterhorn outside Zermatt, Switzerland. And so we crossed, I think it was about 13 cols, which are, are like um, mountain passes, right? So pretty much every day you had to go climb a mountain, right? And then descend into a valley. And, and, and in some ways it was great because in the valleys you could stay in, in little, um, um, some, sometimes we stayed up in actual mountain huts, but you could actually stay in little hostels or even little hotels and actually get a shower and a warm meal, which that doesn't happen if you're backpacking in the wilderness of Montana, right? You got to carry all your, all your food. But we met a lot of people, and, and the, the trail was actually a little steeper than the trails that we have here in, in America. So they throw in fewer switchbacks, and, and these Swiss just run right up the mountains. And so, um, you know, what would have been really terrible uh, if I would have heard in a, in a French accent, you're totally lost. You're going the wrong way. Up, up the wrong mountain. You'll, you'll never make it, you chubby American. <laughs> Discouragement would be just the worst, but the worst would be to find out that, that you know what, and, and this has happened before, uh, I, I had a destination in mind, and, and we've walked a long way, and to find out that you're actually heading in the wrong direction. All right, talk about discouragement. Well, this is what was actually happening to the Christians who originally got this letter. Okay, that their close Jewish friends and, and their family were telling them, you're going the wrong way. You, you, are, you are walking towards Zion with, with this, the, the, this Messiah of yours. And what, you, what you're doing is you're, you're walking away from Moses and from Abraham and from your heritage. Mount Sinai is back this way. And so... In our text this morning, we actually see two mountains. We see Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And in short, Mount Sinai represents the old covenant, which God made with his people Israel. Whereas Mount Zion represents the new covenant, which is in the blood of Christ for, for all nations, for all people. And, and God was certainly present at Sinai. The, the, the people saw his power, 
but God was distant. Whereas at Mount Zion, God is intimate. He is the friend that is closer than a brother. And so at, at Mount Sinai, the Israelites experienced great fear, palpable fear. But out at Mount Zion, Christians experience great joy in worship of the Lamb. And so at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel received the law of God. At Mount Zion, we receive grace. So what mystery man who wrote this letter to this Hebrew church, most likely somewhere in Italy, what he's saying is, don't listen to the bad advice from the hikers who are telling you to go back to Sinai. Keep climbing. Keep going to Zion. That's your home, your eternal home. In fact, you're already there in spirit. Look in your mind's eye. Can you see it? So let's, let's examine a little more in this paragraph these two mountains. So let's start with Mount Sinai, verses 18 through 21. This was a physical mountain that could be touched. Moses climbed it. The people did not. So listen to this, this text once again. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, God was distant from the people at Sinai. Only Moses and Aaron were allowed up on the mountain when he revealed his law. If anybody else came up, even if one of their animals wandered too far, they would be killed, for God's holiness would not tolerate the presence of sin. And so we see back in, what well, we see here in verse 20, uh, that, that, that whole notion that's, that's expressed, that, that for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Back in Exodus chapter 19, we, we read the story of Israel at Mount Sinai. And so God instructed Moses, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain, meaning to the, the edge of the mountain, because God was holy. And the whole point was, these people were not, and God as a holy God cannot tolerate the wickedness and the depravity of mankind. And so the people saw God's power as he, in a, in a physical manifestation, descended on Mount Sinai. And it was there that they received his righteous law that actually brought their own sin more into, in, 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 into uh, contrast because it revealed to them God's righteous standard. And when they received the law, 
they experienced fear. We read in Exodus chapter 19, verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood, or they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And there we read that Moses and Aaron were called up onto the very mountain where God revealed in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And we read, it's very interesting in Exodus 20, right after the, 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 Moses reveals the Ten Commandments and brings the law of God on tablet, stones of tablet that they could touch, down to the people, we read that, that when all the people, Exodus 20, 18 and 19, saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. They were afraid of God. And so verse 19 of our text looks back to this story. And it says that they heard the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. And we read that even Moses who was the friend of God, who had witnessed God's power and God's presence, like in the tent of meeting before. Even Moses was terrified at Sinai. Verse 21, indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So if God is distant, God was distant at Sinai, and, and the people were terrified of his presence, why would anyone on the path to Zion want to go back and climb Mount Sinai instead? Well, on his journey to Mount Zion, we read in Bunyan's, um, in, in his allegory of the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, a, a story where Christian is led away by Mr. Worldly Wise Man And Christian ends up at Sinai. Here's what Bunyan says. Behold, when he was got now hard by the hill, it seemed so high. And also that side of it that was next to the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid to venture further lest the hill should fall on his head. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in his way. There came also flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burnt. Hence, therefore, he, he, he quaked with fear. And he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. And with that, he saw evangelists coming to meet him. And the sight also of whom he began to blush for shame. And of course, in the story, evangelist straightens him out and gets him back on the, the trail towards Mount Zion. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, Today, few Christians are in danger of turning back to Sinai, per se, and embracing the Levitical corpus of the Old Testament. Sinai, with its fiery mountain and its code, is simply too daunting. 
Instead, we fabricate our own mini Sinai's with a a series of mini laws that we think are well within the reach of our unaided powers. Our our mini Sinai's are always reductionist, shrinking spirituality to a series of wooden laws that say, if you will do those six or 60 things, you will be godly. And of course, legalism is always judgmental. How easily our hearts imagine that our lists elevate us, while at the same time providing us with a convenient rack to stretch others in merciless judgment. So we need to beware our own many Sinai's that would distract us from the journey, from from the climb to Zion. Christian, I hope that you are climbing Mount Zion and that you're not going back to Sinai. There's a better mountain than Sinai. But, But I do hope that in your Christian experience, on your road to the cross, that you've experienced Sinai. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, without the law, there is no real understanding or appreciation of grace. Without the law, there's a whole lot of taking for granted of the gospel of Christ, an attitude that we might call cheap grace, which is a gutless, thankless Religiosity that doesn't truly understand God's awesome grace. You see, we have to understand His holiness. We've got to understand our, 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 our problem. We've got to understand that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's no way we can scale Sinai and achieve His holiness. And we are lost. So we will appreciate the gift of Jesus Christ giving Himself for us making us righteous, giving us his righteousness through faith. And so let's spend some time looking at Mount Zion in contrast to Mount Sinai. Dr. Moeller writes, the claim that Christians have come to Mount Zion would have shocked the original audience. Jews define themselves and their history through Sinai. That mountain was where the Israelites met God. But it's not where Christians meet God in the New Covenant. The awful terror of Sinai, which is not the mount to which we have come, shows the radical mercy of Zion. At Zion, God embraces us with his grace and administers to us a covenant where he does not merely write the law on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts. So verse 22 of our text says, But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, that's quite the, quite the paragraph. A lot of stuff packed in there. Uh, and, and, and there's certainly different what you could, you know, I, I, I've counted maybe seven points, but I want to really focus on, on five points to help us unpack that paragraph I just read about Mount Zion. And the, and the first is that mystery man here is talking about heaven when he talks about Mount Zion. He's talking about heaven. So he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem 
is actually, was actually built on a hill, on, on Mount Zion. And it was considered by the, the Jews to be the earthly dwelling place of God. We might consider it today to be, if we're going to look at it the way they did, the, the portal between heaven and earth. That's how the Jews looked at the actual physical city of Jerusalem and, and the physical mountain of Zion. But mystery man here is, is actually referring to a spiritual mountain, not a mountain that you can actually touch. He's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem here. And there is an already not yet aspect here. And what do I mean by that? Well, when we're, when we're saved, when the Lord gives us that first moment of faith in Jesus Christ, right? We are given the promise of eternal life. And so we're already, in a sense, spiritually there. It is sealed and guaranteed, right? But we're still journeying through a broken world. We're not there yet. So there's an already not yet aspect. You have the opportunity as a Christian to experience great suffering and yet to spiritually commune with God himself. And so your, your spirit, your, your soul could encounter heaven's presence, God's presence spiritually while you're going through a really hard time physically and emotionally. And some of you have experienced that in, in your lives as, as you have had to walk through very hard times. And so at salvation, our arrival on Zion has been secured, but we are still on a path to get there in a, in a very broken world. And that's what we're going to see when we get to Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so he's talking about heaven. Number two, he mentions angels. He says, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 33 tells us that there were tens of thousands of angels present at Sinai when God revealed the law to Moses, all right? The, the, the people may not have seen the angels. They saw all the, the earthquake and all the, the, the fire and all the, you know, the, the Shekinah glory of God. But there were all kinds of angels witnessing this event. I mean, who do you think was blowing the trumpet that, that terrified the million plus children of Israel in their camp that reverberated, that made their, their knees weak? It wasn't a, a trumpet of celebration. It was a trumpet of fear announcing the presence of an almighty and a holy God. Well, there were angels there. And when we look towards the end of the story, when we look at it, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, we read that there are tens of thousands, times tens of thousands of angels around the throne of God worshiping the Lamb. And so John writes, and I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, the, the picture here in our text talking about dressing in like festal gathering here is that of a, a great coliseum, kind of think of the ancient world, ancient Greece, and think of a, uh, an Olympic event where everybody is decked out in, in festal gathering to come together to, to celebrate, right? Maybe like an opening ceremonies kind of thing. 
That's, that's the picture here. Fill, a coliseum filled with rejoicing angels worshiping the hero Christ. But here's the point. We're there too. We get to join them. That will be our physical future, and it's even a spiritual reality now when we gather together in, in worship. We are saying the Lamb is worthy along with the angels. Pastor Hughes writes, whereas at Mount Sinai, the angels blew celestial trumpets that terrified God's people, we're to see ourselves in Mount Zion as dressed in festal attire and worshiping in awe side by side with these shining beings. That's our future. And spiritually, that's our, that's our present, if that's where your heart is. Now, the third point that we see here in this paragraph, that, it, that it's, he's talking about heaven and a multitude of angels. He's also talking about believers. In other words, redeemed human beings, right? From the old covenant as well as from the new, people who have gone before us. And it says, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So when we see that word firstborn, we're, we're reminded of Jesus, who's the firstborn of creation. And yet Romans eight seventeen says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. That would be if you are in Jesus, if your faith is in him, if you've been born again through a pure, true faith, you are actually a firstborn of creation as well. And if you're a Christian, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're on a journey to Zion, but your name is already enrolled at the destination. And they're waiting for you. So notice here that the term, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Well, we we studied a, a couple months ago in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, which says, for by a single offering, that would be the offering of Jesus, offering his own blood on the cross, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. So in heaven, we're going to get to interact with the Old Testament heroes of the faith. Abraham and and Sarah and Rahab and and Moses. We're going to get a chance to to get to know them, to learn more about their life experience. I'll tell you, I I think what will happen when we meet them, they're going to be like, let's go look at the lamb. But we're all going to be equal in heaven. It might be easy to think, well, you know, I mean, I'll be the junior cadet. Um, I, you know, I haven't done what Abraham has done. But you know what? Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And he was made righteous by Christ's blood, just as I am. And, and you are if you're in him. And so there's no first or second class citizens in heaven. Praise God. Well, we also see here, uh, in the midst of, of him talking about believers, that, that we have come to God at Zion, the, the judge of all. Well, Hebrews 4.13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. And this would make Mount Zion a billion times more fearful than Sinai, except for the fact that those of us who have citizenship there, 
have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so when he looks at us, he doesn't see our wickedness. He doesn't see our sin, but it has been, it has been covered by Jesus. And so we're able to walk boldly into the presence of the Almighty Judge. But I would say this, be sure you indeed are a Christian, because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And one day every person will stand before God, the judge. Well, he says, finally, we have come to Jesus, the the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus fulfilled the demands of Sinai. In fact, he is the only human being to perfectly, or to even come close to perfectly obeying God's law in both letter and in spirit. And then he gave himself on the cross to bring us who are born into uh, the new life of, of the, into the new covenant of grace through faith, to bring us into that covenant. And Jesus said that on, on the eve before he was betrayed. He said, this covenant or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now we read here this interesting uh, connection or contrast with the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried from the ground, avenge me. But the blood of Jesus is available to save all who call out to him in simple, genuine faith. And if if you're here this morning, and if you're not sure that when you stand before the judge, you will be seen as righteous, if you're not sure that you will be welcomed into heaven, if, if, if there's a chance in your own heart that you may be cast into the lake of fire, I, 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 I call you today to simply turn to Jesus and look to him in simple, true, genuine faith. Tell him that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and call out to him and ask him to save you. And he promises to do so. Moses was fearful at Sinai. We can be confident at Zion because of Jesus. All right, so we've talked about both mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. I'd like us to spend some time here at the, at the end of our message looking and thinking about life applications from this text. And I, I think there are many, but I'm just going to focus on three life applications from this text. And the first is this, and this is what I'm going to spend most of the remaining time talking about recognize you are on a journey. You're on a journey if you are in Christ. This world should not be our home. Now, Phil and Christiana, I I hope that this encourages you a little bit, all right? It might be easier in some ways for you to remember that you are nomads spiritually because you are nomads physically, all right? You don't own a home, and you're not even sure where, what country you're going to be living in in a couple months, correct? And, and, and yet you know he who is leading you, okay? Uh, you, you, you're looking at a different culture, a different language, not, not even knowing exactly where you're going to be hanging your hat, but you know you have a city, you have a home waiting for you at the end of your journey. And so Hebrews chapter 11 dwells on that a little bit. And we we, 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 we talked about this when we looked at the life of the nomad Abraham and the, the patriarchs who were 
nomads. We read that they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, these these nomadic patriarchs were examples for us to follow spiritually. We need to recognize that we Christians are pilgrims. We are nomads on this earth. And so in a few minutes, as we conclude our, 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 our morning of worship this morning, we're going to be praying for two families. And we love these two families, and so it, it grieves us that, that God has called them to, to go and to move. Um, uh, and, and yet, I hope that, that this message will be something that you guys remember. The Boykins and, and, and the Morgans. Morgans are being taken by Uncle Sam to another assignment. And the Boykins are, are riding west into the sunset of Texas. And I can't blame them for it. Uh, but what I would say to you, I mean, arguably you're going to a wonderful place on earth comparatively, right? But it's still broken. I got to, you know, my, my own, um, my own uh, nationality here as a Texan has got to be trumped by my true nationality as a Christian. So I've got to speak the truth. It's a broken world wherever you go. And so as you go and retire, let me encourage you to not put your feet up spiritually. You're still in it. You're still a nomad. You're still in a battle to fight until you reach the top of Zion. And so all of us need to take stock of our lives and, and look at our priorities and ask the question, am I living spiritually like a nomad? That's one of the, the beautiful things about the military. A lot of you, you know, and the Morgans, you know, you, 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 you come and you, 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 you're somewhere for two or three years and you try to plant yourself, but you know we're going to have to move again. And, and so what that does, it can actually help you mentally keep your citizenship ultimately in heaven rather than here on earth in a comfortable society. You know, if you're not really a nomad, if you're not really a wanderer on this earth, spiritually, what that means is you're a citizen of Vanity Fair. And that's not where you want to hang your heart. Because judgment is coming. The the thunder of God, the fire of God is coming to destroy Vanity Fair and for all of its citizens. And so we need to remember that we belong to Zion, but we are indeed pilgrims in a broken world. And so we see things, horrible things in our world that reminds us of it, of the brokenness of this world. We see a a nuclear-armed country going in and just seeking to pulverize and bully and and take over a, a smaller country, a smaller nation, being willing to rain missiles and bombs all over apartment buildings, schools. We see brokenness. This is a broken world wasn't just back in World War II, it's now. But it might be easy to think, that's, well, that's far away. You know, that we're talking Eastern Europe here. Well, last night, as, as, Billy, as Billy alluded to, we, we, we heard news that, that in our own nation, a, a young guy would arm up and would drive a long distance to a place where people from a different ethnic group live so that he could kill as many as possible, motivated by just racial hatred. 
And we got to recognize something here that, that I've been slow to recognize. But if, you, if you're from a minority group, that might deeply wound you. We, we read that. It's easy to read something like that and to think, ah, you know, that's, that's terrible, you know, demonic, horrible. Um, imagine how you felt maybe when you saw an American being beheaded by ISIS. And it's kind of like they did it to you kind of. That's how a lot of our brothers and sisters feel. So let's make sure to, to recognize that and, and love our brothers and sisters who are grieving right now because of the, the racial hatred they encounter in their own country. Let's weep with those who weep. You know, Friday night, we had a, an opportunity to learn more about the brokenness in our own county, in our own town of sex trafficking that's going on right under our noses. People that we may have seen and not even realized were, were literally in bondage to other people. It, it's a reality right here. And, and there's wickedness. There's all kinds of signposts that remind us that we're not supposed to worship a Mayberry that doesn't even exist. Okay, we are pilgrims. This is not supposed to be your home. Guard your hearts not to get too comfortable here. And we need to seek to warn the citizens of vanity fear to flee the wrath to come. Missionary C.T. Studd from the 19th century said, some prefer to live within the sound of church bell, but I prefer to run a rescue mission a yard from the gates of hell. And you don't have to go to the other side of the world to engage lostness. And brokenness. Do you realize the gates of hell are all around us? You might have a next door neighbor that is heading there, and if he has a heart attack, or if she's in a car wreck and, and dies without knowing Jesus, that's where she's going. But you have the hope of the gospel that you could share today. There's a spiritual battle all around us, and we are nomads in a world of which we do not belong. We do because the Prince of Peace is coming back, and one day he's going to reign here, and we look forward to that. But right now, this world, this society we live in, is not our home. We're of another world, and we must live that way. Well, let me just throw out two quick opportunities for you. I always like to try to throw out some practical stuff. There's all kinds of ways to live this way. The, the greatest is get to know your neighbor, pray for your neighbor, love your neighbor, seek to share Jesus with your neighbor, Right? But I hope that, that more of you will come out on, on Saturday next week, right, at the Mud Run, which is a great event to sponsor Heart of the Bride. But we haven't done this in a long time, but we're going to actually have a booth there representing our church. And, and of course, the real point of that is to engage with members of our community who might be living in Vanity Fair in encouraging winsome, loving conversations that would point them to Jesus. And so I think Bill already kind of gave some of the details and, and we still have a couple slots available. You can get online and register. But, but even if not, like if you're like, man, I'd love to come out in the morning, but, you know, the five slots are already taken, just come out. I mean, it'd be great to have more than five people there. Um, in fact, the first two hours, uh, my wife and I are there with the berries. For whatever reason, it, the, the registration thing closed with four. So uh, we'll have some extra T-shirts and stuff like that. But we're going to be passing out snacks and, and we'll have invites to our church. We'll have some gospel material. We're not going to just kind of throw them out to everybody. We don't want to see them all over the ground or in trash cans or, you know, give people something to carry that they don't want. 
But for people who we get in a, in a conversation with, we'll have those with a, a deeper explanation of, of the gospel for them to read. Um, so I hope that a number of you will come out, and I know some of you are going to be doing other stuff, helping run the event, maybe running. We'll come by afterwards all muddy, all right? We'll, we'll have a t-shirt for you that you can change into, and, uh, and just come hang out and engage with people. Here's an opportunity for an overseas uh, outreach that, that just came to us this weekend. Uh, Kent and Tanya sent us a request for help at a conference that they're having in Southeast Asia that's going to occur the 11th through the 18th of June. So you heard me right. That's like less than a month, okay? Um, and if anybody here would like more details, they actually need some folks to come help with child care for this conference. Talk to Megan Schuliger or Carrie King, and they'll give you more details. Uh, we as a church will try to help you. You'll, you'll probably need to come up with some funds too, but we try to help you get there. Um, the, the coordinator for this event writes that this is, this is not only short notice, but it is strategic. And she explained that COVID had something to do with why they, they actually had to put this together in, in short notice. They are understaffed. But she writes that our families have all walked through a journey over the last two plus years that none have before, and everyone is needing to be with other peers for healing and fellowship and worship and counseling and encouragement and laughter and love. So the stuff that we went through with COVID was actually a whole lot harder for most of these folks, for a lot of these folks, in terms of isolation, okay, and, and being stuck. So by sending volunteers to come and serve by watching the children and the youth, this will allow for this gathering to happen. So if you're interested, uh, if you're like, you know, I know a lot of people can't just take up, take off and go somewhere in, in a couple weeks' notice, but if you can and you're interested, Carrie King, are you here? Is Carrie here? There he is. He's in the balcony, all right? And Megan Schuliger, right over here. Go talk to, go, go talk to one of them, and, and they'll give you more details. Well, here's the question. Are you climbing Mount Zion? Are you moving forward in your Christian journey? You know, there is a, a time on a backpacking trip for rest. In fact, it's necessary to stop and to sleep. Sometimes you lay down next to a stream, you know, and to rest. But if you're not moving forward over time, you're not backpacking. In fact, if you're out in the backcountry of Montana and you're not moving forward, you will die. So let's recognize that we are on a journey as Christians. Number two, let me encourage you to treasure God's word. Treasure his word. It is your map for the journey. You know, sometimes when we come to a passage like this one, that frankly at first read is hard to understand. The first time I read through this, this text, this paragraph, I thought, how in the world am I going to preach that one? What in the world does this guy mean here? Okay, and, and what can happen is sometimes when we're just reading scripture, maybe in our devotions, and we see something that's kind of hard to understand, it's tempting to just kind of breeze right past it, right? The eyes of your heart glazed over, and, and we wait until we find something that seems to be a little more clear or, you know, easier to um, emulate or follow, right? You know, it applies to you more, right, in your mind. But you know what? When we do that, what treasures we, we miss? Remember that all scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and, and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction 
and for training in righteousness. And so what a pity if we missed out on the promises of this text because we were lazy, because we weren't treasuring God's word. You know, some scholars actually consider this paragraph that we're looking at this morning to be the very climax of Hebrews. Uh, Everything before was working up to this, the two mountains, this understanding of, of Sinai versus Zion. So when you come to a passage like this one, and, and, and maybe you're thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? Don't just skim over the text. Stop and, and take a deep dive. You might, you might even hit a passage in your study that seems to contradict other passages of the Bible, right? And so don't, I just want to encourage you when, when it happens, don't just sweep your doubt under the rug and, and, and keep moving. Stop and examine it. Because the Bible, my experience, the Bible constantly proves itself over and, and, and over. So keep climbing that mountain, it leads to further, stronger faith. And so by deep dive, you might think, well, how do I do that? You know? Well, one way you can do it is, is get a study Bible. I've got my ESV study Bible today, and you can see half of it are, are notes, right? Just that, a lot of that helps me. And it'll help you in understanding texts like the one we have this morning that you might, you might look at and just be tempted to kind of, well, that must not be very important because I don't know what the guy's talking about. Well, there you have notes that explains a lot to you, okay? And, and you can take deeper dives. Um, uh, you may want to get a commentary set. If, if you have any questions about that, if you'd like some advice, there are certain commentary sets I would advise. And Others I would not, and others that, based on, on your needs, I might say, hey, this would, could be really helpful. Come talk to me. I'd be glad to come over to my office. I could show you a few different options. But get, get a commentary set. There's a whole lot of, of resources available online as well that you can order. Or feel free to email me with a question. And, and some of you have done that and said, hey, I, don't, I was in my devotions reading this, and I don't get it, right? It might mean that i got to stop and do a little studying. But, but let's take deep dives, and treasure God's Word. Valuable treasure is always worth mining. So we need to mine the depths of Scripture. David wrote in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So let's treasure God's Word. It is the map for the journey that we're on. You know, on, on a journey of faith, uh, as in any backpacking journey, it is vital, and this is our, our last point, to set our eyes on Zion. When orienteering, you've got to keep your eyes peeled for your destination. There, there are times that all you got is your map and your compass because there's, a, there's another ridge ahead or another mountain ahead and you can't see the final destination. But in your mind's eye, you always got to know where you're headed. Where are you going? Where, where is true north? Where am I on this, in this wilderness? And that's what, the, that's what the Word of God is for. And there are times in our lives where we can see it, where we can see Zion. There are other times where you may not be able to see it clearly, but in our mind's eye, we've got to be searching for Zion, focused on Zion. And you might say, well, well how do I do that? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things 
that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you might ask the question, well, how do, what does that mean to actually set my mind on Jesus, being that I've never physically encountered the man Jesus? Well, I would say, first of all, read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. A good place to start, I think, for many, I mean, all the Gospels are awesome. They're all inspired, right? Um, Mark is great for action, but you really want to see Jesus, read the book of John. There's a whole lot of red, if you've got the red letter version. A whole lot of Jesus talking and teaching and sharing his heart and the heart of the Father in the Gospel of John. So read it over and over so that you may see Christ, so that you may set your, your mind on Zion. And you can memorize an early Christian creed, which we see in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, that tells us something of who our hero and our Savior and our God Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your Son, our Lord and our Savior and our hero Jesus, who purchased us by his blood on the cross, who has placed us on this road to Zion, who has written our name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, we, we, we praise you that our destination, if we're in him, is secure. So Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, through the navigational help of your Word, that we would faithfully take steps every day climbing that mountain that you've called us to climb, to Zion. Lord, help us not get too comfortable here in Vanity Fair. Lord, may our hearts belong to Christ, and may our longing be for the celestial city. And we look forward to that day in which we worship him with the angels, with the saints of old, with Christians who have died recently. Lord, from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we look forward to that day. And we pray this in the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.